Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. All right, so Jesus has been talking for a while. He's been telling these, uh, these stories, and this crowd is gathered around him, and this crowd is kind of a mixed bag of folks. I mean, he's got his followers are there, these, these disciples, maybe this larger group that follows him around, listening to him, trying to learn. They're there, and they're his supporters. They, he's also got some people there that are probably on the fence. Like, like they, they, they're there maybe because whenever Jesus shows up, stuff happens. Maybe they're there because they're just looking for a good show. Maybe they're there because whenever Jesus sort of gets into these these conversations like he he, he kind of uh, uh, pokes at the pharisees a little bit or he picks a fight or he gets in trouble so these got some fee- some folks that are there simply because they're there they're not sure where they stand on this whole jesus thing and, and then there's some people that are there listening to these stories that are religious leaders you call them pharisees or whatever but they're like part of this religious group that's leading and driving and doing and they're there and by this point in Jesus's ministry they're not real fond of Jesus and so they're looking for some opportunities to try and get him right so this is kind of the group that Jesus is telling these stories to and he gets down to verse 11 and he tells this story it says Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons the younger one said to his father father give me my share of the estate so his dad divided the property between them. Just pause for a second. Like, don't let this go by without understanding what just happened. See, we're, we're aware when we think about it that the normal process of life is, is that the kids, the sons, get dad's inheritance after dad dies. <laughs> right? That's a normal thing. But this kid comes to dad and says, I want my half now. Almost as if this kid is saying, I wish you were dead. Well, happy Monday morning to you, right? What a good way to start the week. He goes up to dad and he tells dad, I wish you were dead. Just to divide the inheritance, I'm out of here. I want my half. That seems like the weird part. Here's the weird part. The dad does it. Does that seem irresponsible to anybody else? That seems kind of irresponsible to me. Like the dad, this kid comes up and goes, you know, I wish you were dead. Just, just, just liquidate the stuff. Give me my half. I'm out of this place. And the dad says, okay. That seems irresponsible to me. Like it's not well thought through. What's this kid going to do with that kind of money? But somehow dad figures it out. He liquidates the estate or does whatever he does, and he gives this kid his half of the inheritance, and the story continues on in verse 13. Jesus says, not long after that, The younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So this this kid takes his half. And he goes off, and, it, and, the, and the story, Jesus tells us he squandered it in wild living. I mean, use your imagination. I don't, we don't know exactly what that means. He squandered it. He just blew it all. And, and over time, when his bank account gets low or the money's run out or whatever, there's this famine in the area, and so he begins to be in need. He doesn't have enough money to eat anymore. And i got to imagine the original hearers of this story, and maybe even us today, when we hear that part, that he's, he feels that need, that kid is like, I'm hungry, and I'm out of money, and this hurts. i got to imagine we're thinking, good. Serves him right. What a punk. He deserves that. I hope he feels it. I, I don't, maybe it's just me the way I hear that story, but man, it seems to be the natural thought. 
Like, good, you get what you deserve. And so the kid gets this idea. He says, i got to get a job. And so he hires himself out. He's really a poorly paid day laborer. And his job is to feed pigs. But we hear that and we think, oh, that's not the worst job of the planet. I've done worse in my life. But, but for a Jewish kid, and the odds are the original hearers of the story would have assumed that he was Jewish because Jesus is speaking to a Jewish crowd, right? And so most likely they're thinking Jewish kid. Well, to a Jewish kid, pigs were absolutely disgusting, See, in the Old Testament law, God had said you can't eat pork, you can't eat pig, it's an animal, it's unclean. And so they had built traditions after that that went so far to say if you even touched a pig, it was unclean. If you even got near pigs, it was unclean. Pigs were disgusting to a Jewish culture. And so whenever you see pigs mentioned in the Bible, there's an interesting thing that's going on. And Jesus uses that to point out how filthy this thing is, how disgusting this situation is. And this kid is in this sty or whatever, and his job is to keep the pigs fed. And it's so bad that he begins thinking, man, I'm so hungry. I just could eat the stuff they're eating. Like whatever the filthiest thing in your brain is, that's what Jesus is getting at here. That's filthy. That's disgusting. And here's this kid sitting in this sty in this muck thinking, man, what have I become? Verse 17 says, when he came to his senses... What a great sentence. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up, and he went to his father. It's a great little start to that sentence. When he came to his senses, like Jesus like pauses and says, hey, when he woke up, <laughs> or... When the kid stopped being so dumb, or when the kid actually thought about it for a minute, when he came to his senses, this kid gets this idea and says, you know, my, my dad's servants have more food than I do. And so, and so you know, I'm going to go back and just ask him. I'm just going to ask him to be like a hired person. Like, will you just treat me like a servant? That would be good. Of, and he begins to concoct this speech in his head. He says, you know what? I know what I'll say to my dad. I'll start, I'll start with, hey, God, hey, Dad, I sinned against you. And I, oh, wait, 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 God's really important to my dad. I should say God first. Okay, I sinned against God, and I sinned against you, and I don't deserve this because I don't deserve this. And he needs to know that I know that I'm a screw-up, and I don't deserve it. Okay, so I don't deserve this, but I know that you treat your servants better. Would you just... He begins to concoct this 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 the speech he's going to give to his dad when he gets home. And it tells us he starts home. So is a kid that's either poor or broke. And so how is he going to get home? I don't know. Is he walking? However long it took him, the hours, the days, the weeks, to get to home, I think every day he wakes up rehearsing this speech. And every day he refines this speech. And every day he gets this speech more and more in his, in his language, in his DNA. He's just ready to just help his dad understand how broken he is. And this is where we go. He's on his way. Second half of verse 20 there. It says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. That seems strange to you at all? Like, what's the story? Was the father standing on the porch every day waiting for, for Cam to come back? Was he just standing going, today's the day. I think today's the day that Cam's going to come. I don't know. Was the father too, too busy? He, he was an employer. He was a boss. Maybe he had a billion things to do. Did, did, he, did, he, did he promote one of his guys one day? Like, did he go up to Carl? He's like, hey, Carl, I got a promotion for you. And Carl's like, okay, what is it? 
He goes, you're now the sun watcher. And Kyle goes, oh, oh cool, what's that? You're going to stand on the porch and watch for my son. When Cam comes, come get me. Okay, okay, sun watcher, I'll do it. I don't know. Did he, did he have one of his guys? Somehow dad was anticipating, was watching, had someone watching for this kid to return. And one day, on a Tuesday, I don't know, I made it up, this kid in the distance, if it's Carl or dad watching or whatever, this, this little dust cloud in the distance is moving. And they get their binoculars. I don't know if they have binoculars. And, and, and Carl looks and he's like, it's Cam. And he runs inside and he grabs the dad. He goes, Cam is coming. And what does dad do? runs out. He runs out. See, that's interesting because in that culture, older men don't run. Older men wait for someone to come to them. They wait to hear what's going to be said. They're, they're respected in that culture. They don't run. And his dad just like threw appropriateness out the window. It's like inappropriate. But he runs to his son and he throws his arms around him and grabs him and hugs him and plants this kiss on him. Now, can you think about it for a second from the son's perspective? Like, you're this younger son, and the last thing you remember saying to your dad was, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. And it's been some time, and you've got this speech concocted in your brain, but you've blown everything you had, and you're on your way home, and you see dad running at you. Now, in my head, the younger son is kind of a smaller guy, and the dad is huge. That's how it looks in my head. And so this dad running down the lane at the son, this dad's trucking at him. Are you with me? What's the son thinking? Oh, man, I'm going to die. <laughs> and, and is the son thinking, oh, but I just, I'm just broken. I'm such a, I'm just, I don't care. I don't even care. He's going to come and mow me down, <laughs> whatever. And so that moment where the dad picks up the son, if you're the son, what are you thinking? You're thinking, what is going on? He's got you up off the ground, you know. He's hugging you and he's kissing you, those giant bare arms. Can you feel this? Just hugging you and kissing you. What a, what a strange experience for the son. What a strange experience for the dad. Let's continue on. We're in verse 21. Well, while the dad's picked him up and he's hugging him and kissing him, it says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. The son starts this rehearsed speech. He's, dad, you know, I've sinned against him. And the father's not even listening. He's like, yeah, yeah, quick, get a robe, put some new clothes on him, get these shoes on him that fit, get that ring on his finger, that ring that's a symbol of the family that says you're part of the family, get that ring back on his finger because this is my son. Isn't that cool? Like he just interrupts the son. The son can't even get the speech out. The dad is so enthralled. He's like, kill that fatted calf. We're going to have a party, like awesome barbecue. We're there. Let's do it. I'm so excited my son's returned. What a cool cool story. So what, what did we see? We saw a lost son who chooses to sin, right? He attempts to fill a void with obvious sin, pursuing pleasure no matter what the cost was. But in reality, the story is about the father because the focus is on the father. The, the, the actions of the father, the character of the father, the heart of the father, father uh, overshadow everything that younger son does because he's really the focal point of Jesus's story. It's interesting because the father seems irresponsible this irresponsible love at the beginning and then this pouring out of crazy grace, accepting the son back at the end. But the father's no fool. 
I mean, he knows the level of pride this son has had to swallow in order to come back, in order to, to repent. He sees the repentance in his eyes, but the big thing is that his son is back, and that's what he's wrapped up about. And so he sweeps up this kid in his joy and grace and love. And that's some of us this morning, right? We live that life. We attempted for a season to, to fill this void in us with all this pursuit of stuff and pleasure. It all returned void like it was meaningless. It was empty. And so at some point in our life, we turn back to this Father God. And God sweeps us up, and we're just living in that. Like, we know that reality. And this is a great story of redemption, of grace, of love. But it's interesting because in the text, we have this really cool word in the next verse. It says, meanwhile, meanwhile, back at the ranch, meanwhile, something else is going on. Because, see, we kind of forgot there's another brother we got so involved in the story, and I think Jesus' original listeners got so involved in the story of, like, this father who's irresponsible, love and grace, and yet this son who didn't deserve it, but got it. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's so cool. I just, I want to have that. We forget there's a second brother. But Jesus didn't, so he tells this rest of the story in verse 25. He says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's all going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he had him back safe and sound. There's something interesting there. Like this older brother is in the field. That makes sense. He's being dutiful. He's obeying. He's the the, the responsible party in the situation. You know, so he's out there doing his thing. He's coming home after a day of work, and he hears music and, and dancing. Why doesn't he just go to the house to see what's going on? Why does he call a servant over? Hey, come here. Hey, Carl. What's going on? Like, why does he do that? And I I don't know. I'm just kind of using imagination here for a second. But is it possible that the older son calls Carl over to ask him what's going on because the older son is pretty sure this party is for him? Finally, somebody notices me. (laughs) Finally, somebody's going to give me what I deserve because, see, I've I've been working for a while. And the reason that the corn is growing is because I make that happen. And the soybeans seal, that, that's because I do that. And the reason that there's still cattle and the fences are mended, that's me. That's all been me. Because I'm pretty awesome. It's about time my dad recognizes. I mean, is, it, is that possible that the older brother calls a servant over because he thinks it's for him and he's going to kind of decide his appropriate response when he walks into the party and they all yell, surprise! for he's a jolly good fellow he's like well that's just doing my i just i'm just here to serve i don't know in my head that's how i see it i think he thinks it's for him and the reason i think that is because of his reaction when he hears the servant explain man your brothers come home and your dad is so thrilled and we're having this major barbecue in verse 29 uh, 28 it says the older brother became angry and refused to go in he became angry he refused to go in. So a lot of responses could have been there. A lot of uh, emotions could have been there. Like, like it would have been natural for him to be confused. Like, wait, what happened? Like, who did, wait, Cam did what? He's back? I thought he was like dead with pigs or something. It could have been a sense of distrust. That would have been somewhat normal. Like, yeah, sure, he's back. He's probably just looking for a handout. I mean, it could have been all kinds of different responses and emotions. But he's angry. And, and, and anger usually follows jealousy. See, see, I think the older brother is jealous, and that's why he's angry, because he thinks he deserves so much more. And so he's angry, and he throws himself a pity party. (laughs) He sits down on the curb, I'm not going in. 
And we pick up the story. It says the older in verse 28, the older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. I think very likely that's the tone of voice that the older brother uses. It's interesting because, because this older brother is sitting outside. How did the dad know that he was still out there? Did the servant Carl go back inside and dad's like, hey, where's, where's my oldest? He's like, yeah, I don't know. He's angry at pity party. I don't know what to do with that kid. He's like, I'm not touching that. And dad goes out. See, this seems irresponsible again because dad doesn't seem right that he would go out and plead with his son, does it? It seems more right that he would tell Carl to pick five of the biggest servants and go drag that kid inside. I'll show him. I'm the father. He's the kid for crying out loud. I told him to. Are you with me? It seems so inappropriate that he would walk out here, grumpy jerk of a son, and plead with him. Come in. No, hear me. No, I want you to be part of this. Come on, man. It just, I don't know. It seems so not right to me. And yet, he does, he goes out and pleads, and the son responds with him with this great word, look. That is not a term of respect. If your kid said that to you one day when you're, you know, helping them to understand what they did wrong, and they put their finger up and said, look. <laughs> Some of you just grumped it. <laughs> right? It's not like, hey, esteemed father, I-, I think you're missing the picture here. Remember when Junior squandered all your stuff? Remember how much you cried for weeks and months? Remember how frustrated you were? Remember how we had to sell off some cows just so we could make the mortgage pay? He's not having a conversation. He's, he's not walking this through with dad. He's just jealous and angry. And so he says, look, I've slaved for you. <laughs> That's got to make dad feel good, doesn't it? I've slaved for you all these years. You didn't give me anything. What an angry, grumpy, bitter person. And yet the dad is out there pleading with him. Verse 31, we'll finish the story. He says to him, he says, My son, my son, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. This heart of the father is just... It's just amazing. It is. So what, what do we see here? We see a few things. We see a second brother, right? Another lost son. And really the only one who remains lost in the story, seemingly, because that story ends right there. That's so frustrating to me. Because I want to know. That older brother, what did he do? Did he just stay out on the curb? Did he, did he go, okay, I get it, and come inside? Was he just throwing the pity party for the next three days in the treehouse? And he's like, I'm not going in. Well, I want to know what finishes, but Jesus doesn't finish. It's like he's telling the story with, with the father. says, my son, you've always been, and we had to celebrate. It's like Jesus just looked up at the group, I think. Just let it hang there. And I got to imagine there's some in the group that started thinking, oh, dang, I think he's talking about me. So this seems to remain lost in the picture. This, this second older brother, he, he attempts to fill a void which seems less obvious. It's still a sin void, but he's pursuing fulfillment by slaving for the father. No joy, no love, no relationship. It's just this mecha- mechanical obedience. But even in here, the story is still about the father. 
Because everything that the father does in his character overshadows all the stuff that the older brother is doing and the focus of Jesus' story is still the father. He listens to his son. He reminds him of his grace. It's already been poured out that the son has always had access to the father. See, the father is no fool. He knows that this son has always done out of obligation and out of some sort of manipulation, not out of love. And yet the father still invites his son into the party and really into his heart. Yet at the end of the story, the son is still outside. So what do we got here? We got two sons, both lost. I know if you've been around for a while in church circles or you've been in the Bible for a while, you may have heard this story called the prodigal son. It always seems to be about the first son. Or maybe it's called the lost son. But in reality, there's two lost sons in this story. Two lost sons, two wrong approaches to finding happiness or significance and personal worth. We might call those two self-discovery and and moral conformity. Self-discovery is the side that says, I'll figure out what's right for me and I'll pursue it, whatever makes me happy because it's all about me. And moral conformity is the other side of the spectrum that says that I'm going to do this out of obligation and obedience and full dedication to the rules or to the policy without any kind of love for the Father. Both are wrong and both are lost. The younger brother's lostness seems obvious, like he pursued all these sinful things. And so we often define sin in those terms. But the older brother's lostness is also there, this sense of obligation without any kind of love or relationship. Neither son loved the father for the sake of loving the father. They only wanted something from him, tried to manipulate him. The younger was willful and obvious, the older by always obeying and now expecting the Father to perform for him. See, because the reality is that you can rebel against God and be separate from him by breaking all the rules or keeping them diligently. That's a huge thing for me. That you can be separate from God and you can be rebelling against him by breaking all the rules, which we often get, or by keeping them diligently. Because we often define sin by what the younger brother did. But sin is also in what the older brother did. Both sought other ways of salvation. One by outright rejecting the father, but one by relying on self in order to manipulate the father. And we have to own this deeper definition of sin because it's rooted in where we place our trust in a full and abundant life. And frankly, in a ton of ways, I think the older brother is in more danger because he seems so close to the father, and yet he's so distant from him. And so we have this situation with these two wrong approaches and these two lost sons. But here's the good news this morning. There's a third way. Like it's not just about this self-discovery, sinful approach, chasing all the world, and it's not about this moral conformity, uh, obligation to the rules for the sake of following the rules. There's a third way, and it's really good news. Matter of fact, that's what we actually call it. We call the third way the good news. We use the word sometimes like gospel. The gospel, the gospel, that word just means good news. This is literally good news that there's a third way because the real focus of the entire story keeps coming back to the father. And that's the good news. That's the third way. He loves both sons. He invites both sons. He offers his love to both sons, not based on some external idea or fulfillment, but based on the love of the father. Nothing that they could earn or deserve. It's nothing that we could earn or deserve because it's based completely on the Father and freely offered by Him. The gospel is less about me and all about God. This third way is not about me. It's all about God. That is an incredibly piece of good news 
That's an incredibly cool concept. It's not in some approach I have to figure out, but it's in a God who seemingly inappropriately and uh, like sillily loves me and loves you and throws grace on you and throws grace on me and is accepting for you and accepting for me and that's an amazing, amazing truth. The gospel is less about me and more about God. It's about having a relationship with the Father, with God that's rooted in love, not some manipulative motivation. Theologian Timothy Keller puts it like this. He says this. He says, religion operates on the principle of, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. But the basic operating principle of the gospel is this. I am accepted by God through the work of Jesus, therefore I obey. Because see, not obeying isn't right, but obedience out of obligation isn't right. Uh, Willful sin isn't right, but self-effort to clean up your life isn't right. It's a committed relationship with the loving, grace-filled Father That's the heart of the gospel. And so in this seemingly simple story that Jesus tells about two brothers, he's really redefining everything that we think about sin and lostness and salvation and who we are in Christ. And so we're going to finish this morning with uh, a song, uh, maybe three minutes. I don't know how long it is. But here's what I'm going to ask is that we would just ask one simple question as we're singing the song. And you can use this place however you want. If you want to come down here, if if you want to sit, we'll we'll ask you to stand to sing. But if you want to sit, if you want to kneel somewhere, if you just need to have your head down or if you're going to belt it out, Whatever you want to do, one simple question. Like, do you really get it? Do you really get the gospel? Do you get the third way? Or or do you have something else going on between you and God? Like, like, is it some sort of a lostness where you're, you're trying to figure this out based on all your effort and energy and you're obeying the rules and it's just not... Or or you're trying to fill this void in your life by just pursuing all the things that you thought would be fun and fulfilling and they just aren't? Is there some kind of other lostness going on do you really have a relationship with God based on love and grace joy or is there something else happening that's the question that I'm just asking us for us to have in our heads for the next three minutes as we finish this song is that fair if you guys would just stand that would be fantastic and we'll finish